The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I am the North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet. We are broadcasting today from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern, Provolone, is manning the production elements of the broadcast. Coming up on today's program, Robert De Palma. He's a paleontologist. Talks about a meteor impact from 66 million years ago that generated a tsunami-like wave in an inland sea that killed buried fish, mammals, insects, and dinosaurs, the first victim of the U.S. mass extinction event. And because of oil and gas paying these people, these paleontologists, to go out and survey the land and find out everything that's going to be done, discoveries like these continue to happen. These unprecedented fossil sightings all over the country. And honestly, folks, it's because of oil and gas activity. If you take away the oil and gas activity, there ain't anybody paying these guys. There ain't anybody paying paleontologists to go out and do this work. Not in today's world. I guarantee you, you follow the money, it's oil and gas funding. Most of the paleontology work, archaeologists, anything to do with discovering the earth on a more intimate basis is got to come in from the mining industry, a.k.a. oil and gas. If Somebody knows the, the actual legitimate stats. Email Jason at the crudelife.com. Love to see it. I'm just going off of my hunch on this. I'm just kind of going off of what I know about how the economy works. So this is not a fact. This is just my opinion that I feel very confident saying that if you continue to go after the oil and gas industry, jobs like Robert De Palma, paleontologist, and archaeological firms are going to be impacted, okay? And guess what? They are not considered in the mining industry. So this is another example of one of those jobs. But we're not going to talk about that with Robert De Palma. He's not into that stuff. No, he's into meteor impacts from 66 million years ago that buried fish and mammals and insects and dinosaurs. Just all kinds. It was the last mass extinction on this planet. And from what I'm being, okay, spoiler alert, it had nothing to do with oil and gas. (laughs) Could you imagine we're going to talk about something that happened on the earth where there was a mass extinction and it's not because of climate change? Boy, this is going to be like science fiction today, folks. Okay, what do we got? You like that provolone? We're having a little fun today here because this is esoteric energy. We just throw out the script and go from the hip a little bit here and power our own lives because we believe generating positive energy is the way to go. All right, what do we got? And by the way, Robert De Palma will join us on our Bakken barbecue phone lines. Coming up also on the program are uh, Joel Brown. You know, here's, here's how this works at the end of the program. If some of you are confused because it sounds like we're doing two different shows, it's because we are. So I th- these podcasts are so good that I have radio stations that put me on. So because we do a daily update, a three-minute, 30-second update for a bunch of radio stations, like 20, 30 radio stations, 
Uh, I just put that on the tail end of the show. And today is Joel Brown from Mineral Tracker, and he talks about how tracking minerals and royalty payments is completely a whole new ballgame in the world of apps and websites and that sort of thing because it's constantly changing. And then when you throw in like any new legislation that happens and et cetera. So uh, what we do is we produce a, a three-minute and 30-second daily update for a number of radio stations in oil and gas communities. In fact, I just got an email from the Permian yesterday from a radio station asking me about our daily update. So at the end of the program where we do our daily update, today it's Joel Brown with MineralTracker.com. I believe yesterday was Troy Shrink from Target Hospitality. And tomorrow, I'm not sure yet because I don't have that sheet in front of me and I like to live in the moment. Hey, I'm done living in the past and I'm done living in the future. Because in the future, for some reason, a computer model knows how the future is going to be more than that tarot card reader, crystal ball reader right down the street. Even though the computer model's never been right, and the Magic 8 Ball's been right four times, we're going to go with the computer model, right? That's the way the world works. So I'm living in the now. I'm done living in the future. I'm done living in the past, at least for the entirety of this sentence. Okay, what do we got coming up? Because I do have to live in the future because I am running a podcast here. Today's sponsor is Crestwood Midstream Partners. If you would like to be a sponsor of the show, folks, certainly we'd love to have you. Email me, jason at thecrudelife.com. To sponsor the program, it's actually less than what a trade show costs, what a lot of sponsorships cost for one luncheon. Uh, we do it for the year. And when you support the crude life, you support a platform so that people like Robert De Palma, paleontologist, can come on and talk about how the oil and gas industry is making his life better as a paleontologist. So that's, that's what today's interview is really about. He has some exciting news that's happened in the past year. They're, you know, that it's, it's, it's big. So in his world, this is like probably award-winning. Might read about it in history books, that type of thing. And again, just because of the hard working people like the ones at Crestwood. Crestwood Midstream Partners, they're a sponsor of the program and we're very grateful. Now, Crestwood Equity Partners is a publicly traded master limited partnership that owns and operates midstream assets located primarily in the Marcella Shale, Bakken Shale, Delaware Permian Basin, PRB, Niobrara Shale, Barnett Shale, and the Fayette Shale. Their operations and financial results are divided into three segments that include gathering and processing, storage and transportation, and marketing, supply, and logistics. For more information on Crestwood Midstream Partners, visit their website, crestwoodlp.com. That's crestwoodlp.com. Once again, I'd like to thank Crestwood Midstream Partners for being a sponsor of our program here. And if you'd like to sponsor The Crude Life, feel free to shoot me an email, jason at thecrudelife.com, or reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm elsewhere. There's a lot of ways to ignore me and a lot of ways to contact me. And trust me, folks, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and Or you can just email me, jason at thecrudelife.com. Mark your calendar for June 25th. It's the Energy Exposition in Gillette, Wyoming. Uh, we will be a part of it here at The Crude Life. We're going to be having a panel discussion or a speaking presentation, something along those lines. We'll be doing live broadcasts and recording, also participating on a panel. Uh, Energy Gillette, Wyoming. Energy Expo, Gillette, Wyoming, June 25th and 26th. Hopefully we'll see you there, folks. 
Uh, check them out on LinkedIn. They're always posting who's coming, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I have been getting kind of a sneak preview of some of the dignitaries and some of the uh, you know special guests, and it's it's getting more impressive every day. So, folks, hopefully we'll see you there June 25th and 24th. <laughs> this little dyslexic here today. Uh, I apologize. June 24th and 25th at the Energy Exposition in Gillette, Wyoming, Provolone, that is how we do it when we decide that we're not going to edit here in the podcast world. We just, if it, if, if it happened live, which we're doing, even though this is a recorded podcast, and then we turn around and put it out as a live podcast, I guess. Um, I'm not really sure I'm making sense anymore, but if it happened live, it was meant to be. And my little bout of dyslexia there where I reversed that, that was meant to be. It's, it's, it's part of that esoteric energy approach. Sometimes we got to infotain, educate, and entertain the people and messing up. People like it when people get kicked in the groin. And sometimes when you mess up on a word, that's equivalent to getting kicked in the groin. And hey, if I got to get kicked in the groin every now and then to make the people laugh, we're going to do that. Speaking of groin kicks... The Earth's champion, Johnny Green, has been by once again. The Earth's champion, Johnny Green, we sponsored him here at The Crude Life. He has a two-fold message. You ready for this? Cell phones are the number one polluter on the planet. If we just power them down for one hour a day, we can all keep driving our SUVs. And number two, renewables ain't doable without fossil fuelables. And Johnny Green won the environmental tournament. He is the Earth's champion. He's got the 15 pounds of eco-authority to back it up. And when he comes around, I just, I laugh because he just, part of our deal of sponsoring him is, is his reality check on renewables. And so he likes to give me links to websites and little notes and things like that. And today is because he's the earth's champion. He's paying attention to Germany. So he gave me a link from cleanenergywire.com. Corn, uh, org, sorry, cleanenergywire.org. I wanted to say, boy, that sounds really hippie. And then I got to corn and cornfields and dancing. Anyway, so kumbaya circles, but cleanenergywire.org. All right, that sounds like a Johnny Green website. Failed auction illustrates dramatic struggle of German wind power industry. In the first kind of couple paragraphs, lines, whatever, Germany's first renewable power auction of 2020 has once more failed to attract enough bidders for onshore wind power projects, leading to industry groups calling for a breakthrough in the country's energy transition policy. The energy industry expects a swift reaction from the government and the law on renewable power expansion that is adopted as soon as possible, said Kirsten Andre, head of the German Association of Energy and Wind Industries. Okay, I'm going to stop it right here because this is, this is the same old song and dance that's been going on for my lifetime. Okay, here's what we've got. We've got a government forcing you to do something. In this case, it's to go to renewables. And I don't care how they did it. In this case, they, they, they used the heartstrings. They, they pandered and, and they pulled on the heartstrings by saying that if you drove an SUV, you're awful. If you work in the oil and gas industry, you, you work for Satan himself. And because of all of that, you, you have to do some wind power and you have to do solar. And Germany, for what it's worth, was one of the first ones to jump on board. Now, I don't know if it's their industrial spirit, 
I don't know if they still have guilt from the whole Hitler era. I don't know if they're that environmentally conscious. I have no idea what the deal is, but Germany came when they were one of the first ones to step up. And I'm very glad they did because if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be somebody like Germany, in all honesty, because of their industrial history. They're very industrious. And they have shown the world that not only is it a boondoggle, boondoggle meaning just a mess, a kerfuffle, just a chaotic energy complex kerfuffle. And now what you've got, okay, let me read this again. The energy industry expects a swift reaction from the government and a law on renewable expansion that is adopted as soon as possible, said Kirsten Andre, head of the German Association of Wind and Water Energies. Okay, this is all reaction, reaction, reaction. And that's what the government does, is they force you to do something, it doesn't work, and then they react and try to tell you how to do it differently. Okay? And this crash course that we're on to get rid of fossil fuels is dangerous, folks. Okay? It's dangerous. I mean, 96%, but my example is always hypodermic needles. That's it. As soon as you can give me a plan on how you're going to replace hypodermic needles, I will gladly have a conversation about ending fossil fuels. Okay? Because guess what? Humans have been decarbonizing on their own for 150 years, long before Greta Thunberg jumped on the movement and the Sierra Club did too, okay? Since the days of Abraham Lincoln, we have been decarbonizing our energy because that's what humans do. Humans' behavior changes as part of our evolution. We don't grow wings. We evolve through behavior. And since we were burning wood and coal and whales and hay, we've gotten away from that for humanity reasons, for climate reasons, for health reasons. In fact, North Dakota, my home state, has one of the cleanest airs in the nation, A++++ every year, 95% of its power by coal. Okay. There you go. That's the reality. And in the planet of platitudes, they tell you other stuff. And if you try to tell them that you're living in the reality, the realm of reality, they'll just get louder, more shameful with their planet of platitudes. It's, it is a very dangerous, slippery slope we're going down. Because if you take away the energy industry, forget it. I mean, you've got total control over the people and no more opportunity for capitalism. Smart, clever, clever capitalists have always created new ways to make energy more efficient, more economical, and in turn, those smart, clever capitalists become millionaires. Maybe not millionaires, but they certainly do figure out a way to become a lot more well-off with their lifestyle. Their quality of lifestyle increases because they figured out a way to make life better for everyone else. And the reward for that was their lifestyle got better. I do not understand why this green movement wants to take that away. I do not understand that. And before I get upset on this podcast, Provolone, 
I'm going to put out my email address one more time because if anybody else would like to argue or talk about this, they can because that's what the crude life is all about. We don't. We talk about anything and everything on this program. Jason at thecrudelife.com. Jason at thecrudelife.com. By the way, the link from that, cleanenergywire.org, is available at thecrudelife.com on our show page as well at the podcast show page. You can certainly check it out under the Earth's champion, Johnny Green's Eco Watch. In fact, I know he's in Colorado defending the championship belt, so I'm not... I wonder how that's going. We'll have to get an update from Johnny Green to see how the championship belt is going, if he's defending it or what. I don't even know who he's taking on. I know he was down in the Everglades, and then he was down at the Lake of the Ozarks, and then Johnny Green was Lake Pecan. I know he was down there. Uh, Boy, he goes to some real remote places and uh, defends the Earth's championship because it's amazing. I, I mean, you could climb to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and there would be some sort of litter up there. I mean, there's rarely any place that you can go on today's planet where someone's not leaving litter behind. Johnny Green's picking it up, and he's bringing people with him, and he's turning it into a competition because he's the Earth's champion, and he won the tournament. I mean, it's already already a thing, so he's just doing it, meeting kids, all kinds of different stuff. So, all right, coming up. Robert De Palma, paleontologist, joelbrownmineraltracker.com. Our studio sponsor, Hatch Coaching. Our phone line sponsor is Bakken Barbecue, which, by the way, is coming up. I will be emceeing the Bakken Barbecue again this year. Headlines now. Let's go to headlines and take a look at what Provolone has put together for a nice little headline for us. Headlines is very simple, folks. What we do is we read a headline, and then we read the first couple paragraphs, and from there is when we determine our assessment and then we move on with our life because that is how everybody else reads the headlines. And it's it's a way for us to be like everyone else. Now, we don't advocate this. We want, we'd want we like you to read the entire paragraph and any scientific study, click on the scientific study and read that. Don't read what the policymakers uh, put together. That's not science. That's consensus. And so we just read a couple paragraphs and move on. We have some fun with it, to be honest, because this is how people live their life. Our first one comes from the Carlsbad Current Argus, BLM, colon. August oil and gas land sale continued target Permian Basin in New Mexico. The Federal Bureau of Land Management planned to hold its August 2020 lease sale of public land to the oil and gas industry spanning three western states, including New Mexico. A public scoping period running from March 9th to March 20th was announced per a Monday BLM news release. The 20-parcel sale totaled about 3,405 acres of federal mineral rights in New Mexico, Texas, and Oklahoma. Well, that is definitely some good news for the oil and gas industry. The only thing I'm going to say to this really is, you know, this is this is something that's normal. It happens all the time, so there's no reason to get upset about it. The only thing I'm really going to mention on this is the conversations I've been having lately actually involving the Permian and the Bakken specifically. And this is this is Permian here, but it's New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, is that uh, the number of foreign companies that are buying these leases and, you know, rattling off a few off the top of my head, France, Germany, China are just a few, you know, from the Bakken, I remember, and I'm hearing the same countries down in uh, Texas as well. So, 
Wyoming yesterday, we talked about how they're going to they're in the negotiations right now with Occidental about the largest mineral sales since Alaska in terms of the state owning mineral rights. And, you know, in Alaska, like I said yesterday, is that they have it in their state constitution that the people own that. And so the state turns around and gives them a check and they really do business with just a couple oil companies, BP and Shell. Outside of that, not too many people doing oil and gas business up in Alaska. And everything's got to go through the state. Wyoming, I believe, would have to change their state constitution to do something like that. So if they go into the, the mineral business, my guess is they're going to turn around and sell it. And I assume they are. I don't know. I, I'm not. Maybe they'll become an oil company and they'll just become the new, you know, Occidental. They'll just become Whiting. They'll just become Continental Resources. They'll just become whoever. I mean, if they have that many minerals, they could. I mean, they can just outsource everything like everybody else. I don't think they do that, but I, I don't know. I mean, government is getting in all kinds of businesses these days. I mean, I, you name it, the government's probably in competition with you. I know it's one of my biggest competitors. It's a reason I got out of advertising. I can't compete with a government wrapping buses and selling indoor billboards to sports facilities that taxpayers bought. And I mean, programs for kids events that run by the schools and all kinds of different things. I mean, when you look at it, as far as if you're in the media, the government has got to be your biggest competitor by far for marketing budgets and advertising dollars and all kinds of different things so they, i don't know i have no idea if the state of wyoming is planning on getting in the oil and gas business i have no idea my guess is they're going to turn around and sell the leases and that's where i'm just saying that uh to me i would think that i would keep an eye on who's buying them when you look at what's going on in america right now there's a little bit more consolidation and layoffs and signs of downturn even though it's completely different circumstances, but the signs are still there. So my guess is, is that when Wyoming, if they do buy those leases, just like here, and we're talking about, you know, this public uh, land auction, you know, it's going to be held from the scoping period, March 9th through the 20th to be held in August. My guess is foreign companies will buy them. So again, there's a reason that we have 200 people listening in the Ukraine. There's a reason we have 600 and some people in Germany and France listening to our podcast. I didn't even know that Qatar was so advanced in terms of their, their downloading ability. But I suppose everybody is, you know, at the, at the download of an app now. I mean, I, we're on iHeartRadio. We're on iTunes. We have a website. We're available to the world. And literally... We are available to the world. And when I look at where our downloads are coming from, South America, all kinds of things, it's cool. It's really cool to know that I can be sitting here in the Hatch Coaching Studios ready to talk to Robert De Palma, paleontologist, Jill Brown from MineralTracker.com to end the show, and people in Qatar can listen to me. That is effing cool. Okay, let's go to our next thing. You like how I had to throw in a little vulgarity there to accentuate my point? All right, this next one comes from FT.com. I've never heard of FT.com, Financial Times. I have heard of them. Okay, this is, uh, let's see, the headline, A Flaring Tax 
can end this wasteful and damaging practice. Well, this is very interesting because this is an opinion piece and we've talked about this in our program, but from a different angle. Now I'm gonna tell you folks something about this after I read this, okay. In the past decade, US oil and gas companies have become so successful in finding and getting oil out of the ground that they have started burning billions of dollars worth of gas each year. When a company produces oil, natural gas often comes out of the ground with it. Because oil is so valuable, it is often cheaper to burn the gas than build the infrastructure to sell it. I mean, that's, that's true, that is true. I mean, the oil and gas industry has never hid from that, okay? This continues. But the practice, flaring, is both wasteful and environmentally harmful. In 2019, companies set fire to 810 meters cubic feet of gas a day in the Permian Basin alone, the U.S. most prolific shale patch, enough to meet all the residential gas demands in Texas and Oklahoma. All right, so I listen, folks. This is I'm going to be very blunt about this. This is why some people have called me the shale play prophet. This is why some people do not talk to me because I ask too many questions. This is why some people get upset with me when I talk about topics that nobody's talking about. Okay, if you go back and look at our podcasts and our interviews and our radio programs and our articles in magazines, I've been pontificating, okay, about whether we should subsidize oil and gas for flaring, specifically taking some subsidies away from wind and solar who have received them for 30, 40 years, have not met any of their milestones, have not shown a significant amount of progress for the amount of taxpayer subsidization they've gotten. I feel I am very qualified to ask that question and i feel there is ample evidence to ask that question without immediate knee-jerk reactions i don't get that i get immediate knee-jerk reactions and people automatically defend solar or they go against subsidies but the problem is nobody's talking or asking the questions about what i'm talking about here because what i say is flaring is a solvable problem i can tell you there are about 15 natural gas companies, these crazy, clever capitalists that are sacrificing their time and money away from their family, sleeping out at well sites, checking methane levels, checking to see pentane levels, butanes, all kinds of different things on the promise that they can save companies money. And guess what? These oil and gas companies, I don't know if you've noticed, but the last couple of years has not been going up. It's been going down. There's a consolidation happening. There's people trying to figure out how to make two bucks into five bucks. And when they can't, they got to sell or they got to shut down. Okay, that's been going on for a little while. And whether people want to talk about it or not, I don't care because I'm going to. And I've been asking if we should subsidize now with the Financial Times, which, by the way, is a very well-read publication, now they're asking for a tax. So the people in the oil and gas industry, the leaders that I have asked about if we should take the subsidies, just a portion, from the renewable, from the wind and solar who received them for 40 years, and should we shift those to the flaring problem because it's a solvable problem and it's something we could probably do in 10 years? People from the energy industry and leadership automatically bash subsidies. Go ahead and listen to our uh, interviews. 
They do. So now we got people who say, no, we should give more money to renewables. And the people who are actually supposed to be advocating oil and gas, they just go after subsidies. So now we got people asking if we should tax the oil and gas companies. Okay. So to me, the way I'm looking at it, I was the only one trying to help the oil and gas industry. How do you guys look at that? If I'm asking if we should shift the subsidies from wind and solar, not all of them, 20, 30, 40%, 5%, because guess what? All it's going to take is a little bit of money for some of these crazy capitalists that are sacrificing their life in order to check pentane levels to show the world that they can do it on a regular basis. And BP, Shell, Whiting, Continental, like I said, they're laying off more people than they're hiring. Do you, do you really think there's that much money going into research and development when the Permian's paying minus 10 bucks? I mean, I know it's like three, but my point is, you can't invest in something when there's no market. And if you're not getting a subsidy for it, you can't go that way either. The problem with wind and solar, and I've been told this by a lot of very intelligent people, the next day after you take away some subsidies, not all the subsidies, some, they go under. Not the next week, not the next year, the next day. And that's why they continue to get more. So this, this is some interesting times, folks. I'm, I'm challenging the leaders right now. You need to reinvent how you stand up for energy. I don't get the advocacy, advocacy and PR money, okay? So I'm not in the same category as you, okay? All I'm trying to say is I tried to have a conversation for two years, for two years, just trying to have the conversation about whether we should subsidize flaring. And people within the industry who get paid to stand up for the industry said no, because subsidies are bad. Well, now we got people asking for a tax. I'm going to go to the next one now because I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit cantankerous today. Let's, let's go with that. Oh, now you know how to change my mood, Mike Tyson. All right, our third headline comes from Yahoo News. Mike Tyson cries as he reveals he feels empty after retiring from boxing. Well, former heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson broke down in tears during a recent episode of his podcast featuring Sugar Ray Leonard saying he feels empty. During the episode of Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson, he told Leonard, I know the art of fighting. I know the art of war. It's all I've ever studied. That's why I'm so feared. That's why they fear me when I was in the ring. I was an annihilator. That's all I was born for. Now these days are gone. It's empty. I'm nothing, said Tyson, 53. This is a very common theme for people who have been in the squared circle, been on stage at a rock concert. There is a level of a rush that you can't get in a bottle, you can't get in a pill, you can't get in Colorado. You can only, well, actually you could probably get it in the mountains, but you can't get it from the dispensaries. You can only get it from being on stage. And I've done it before. I, I've been up in front of 20,000 people before. And I'll tell you, that is a rush like you 
cannot explain. And the reason that people like uh, rock stars and professional wrestlers and, and, and these type of people have such interesting behind the music documentaries on VH1 and other programs and, and access and all kinds. The, the reason rock stars and sports athlete and pro wrestlers have such interesting documentaries is because those are people looking for that rush again. And Mike Tyson, I love Mike Tyson. I love his ear biting. I love his face tattoos. I love the fact that he's got a podcast. I love the fact that he's the he's so passionate. I love the fact that he he just thinks he doesn't ever do anything wrong. Uh, Mike Ty Mike Tyson had a cartoon. He is in my my world the boxer. Okay, like he's from my childhood, and he's still he's probably the most known boxer around. And Tyson Fury. I believe that's his name. Uh, he just fought a couple weeks ago, if not last week. Uh, I know him because of wrestling. He took on Braun Strowman, a wrestler. And if it wasn't for that particular fight that they did, I would have had absolutely no idea who Tyson Fury is. And he's the champ. He's like 6'9". Mike Tyson was really the last time boxing was something. And Mike Tyson was kind of the last boxer, really, of modern era because the sport of boxing hasn't been the same since then. And I'm not saying that's good, bad, or anything like that. I just love Mike Tyson. He is a, he is a character, and he's a freak, and he doesn't, and he doesn't, and he's okay with that. And if he's okay with that, I'm okay with that. So uh, good one to end on as you, you got my ire up a little bit. You ended it with uh, Mike Tyson one. Thank you, Provolone. I need to take a break. We need it's like a 30 second break. I need to take a drink drink of coffee. I've been talking now for at least 20 minutes or so. So we, we need to uh, just mention Crestwood one more time, one of our sponsors here at the Crude Life. Uh, Crestwood, uh, we appreciate them very much for allowing us to turn our lights on, keep them on, because it takes more than just the flick of a switch to keep the lights on. It's hardworking people like Crestwood Midstream Partners. They're a publicly traded master limited partnership. They own and operate midstream assets located primarily in the Marcellus, the Bakken, Delaware Permian Basin, the PRB Niobrara Shale, the Barnett Shale, and the Favet Shale. For more information on Crestwood Midstream Partners, visit their website, CrestwoodLP.com. That's CrestwoodLP.com. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Well, you're my surfboard, baby, let me be your boogie man. Well, you're my surfboard, baby, let me be your boogie man. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spee. Some have called me the North Dakota Nomad. Others, the Shale Play Prophet. We are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. We have our entitled intern, Provolone, who is manning the production element to the podcast. 
Robert De Palma is our next guest. He's a paleontologist. He's going to be joining us here on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines to talk about the meteor impact 66 million years ago that generated a tsunami-like wave in an inland sea that killed and buried fish and mammals and insects and dinosaurs, the first victims of the Earth's last mass extinction. Exciting stuff right here. Literally brought to you by oil and gas. I mean, everything about it really has. So from the funding to the financing to probably the tools he used to the car and energy he got to get out there. But hey, we're not. We all know that. We don't need to point that out. But you know what? From time to time, we do. And for me, that was one of those times because I just kind of felt like it. And some people are probably wondering, you know, why, why is he interviewing a paleontologist on The Crude Life? You know what? I might have a cafe owner on because the oil and gas industry is a lot bigger than what people give it credit for. So provolone, is he ready now? Okay. All right. Let's uh, go to Robert De Palma, paleontologist. Robert De Palma, adjunct professor of geosciences, FAU, Florida. And we've got some very exciting news. I saw this uh, come out last week. I just caught the headline on one of my home pages. I clicked on it. And I read it and thought, this is one of the coolest stories I've come across in a while. has to do with uh, kind of understanding a little bit more about ground zero with the asteroid that maybe extinct the dinosaurs and some things like that. So we brought on Robert De Palma with Florida Atlantic University and the University of Kansas to talk a little bit more about that. So I gave a very awful description, and I did that on purpose because I wanted you to be able to share the big news and kind of go go with that a little bit. I know I've asked about a half a dozen people, and they all said the same thing, like, oh, I saw that, but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> so anyway, that's where we're at with it. But what, to describe this uh, this big finding that you guys have discovered up there in North Dakota. So basically, this adds a, a slightly new dimension to uh, an issue or a, a story that has been out there for a while. I mean, we've known since the 80s that the asteroid came down, um, which we now know came down in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, and ultimately uh, caused ecological devastation and ended in uh, the third largest extinction on the planet. Um, that's all good long-term stuff, but uh, the details of what happened right after impact were not as unknown because the geologic record doesn't preserve things on that fine of a time scale of, you know, minutes to hours. We're talking in hundreds of years to thousands of years or millions of years, the geologic record. So the interesting part about this site is that we have evidence for a massive surge of water which inundated a Paleo River Valley, and essentially, within the period of a couple of hours, at maximum, uh, deposited a massive amount of dead animals, plants, and sediment, which essentially records the very first two hours after impact in the geologic equivalent of high-speed film. So we're able to see what happened in those moments after impact. Uh, the other interesting part about this is that based on the data that we have, uh, the most likely trigger for that surge of water were seismic waves from the impact site itself, because our data indicates that those seismic waves would have arrived at the site of deposition right around the same time as all of the incoming debris from the asteroid, which we found embedded in our deposits. So that's a very intriguing thing, yeah. that coupling between seismic shaking and this sort of thing. 
So we're talking about North Dakota's Hell Creek Formation as the right. place where the fossils and, and that sort of thing ended up, correct? That's correct. Now, the point of impact is up in Canada, right? Uh, the point of impact is the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Oh, jeez. So that's, that's about 3,000 kilometers to the south. Oh, my word. So that's, that's way down south. So this is water from there, did you say? Or talk to me about how, how, no, how that impacted. I, I got lost somewhere along the line yeah. there. You know, here's the interesting part about it. The thing that travels fast in this uh, scenario is uh, the, the coupling of the seismic waves. That is what is traveling fast. The seismic waves will arrive within minutes from the impact site, but the water is essentially already there. Whatever water is already in your study region, if that body of water is of the right dimensions, then those size waves could excite that to uh, into a seiche formation, which is like a tsunami. It's like the bathtub water sloshing back and forth in one big wave. That's essentially what it does on a larger scale. So that would happen within minutes after impact. And by that extension, if those seismic waves encountered a body of water of the right dimensions almost anywhere from impact, on the other side of the world, for example, if that body of water was the right dimensions, it could have experienced the same thing within minutes after impact, before all the other bad things happened. So we're looking at the very first thing that could have affected all these little dotted ecologies right after impact. It's a phenomenal thing. We've got a snapshot into that moment in time. So two questions that pop into my head right away are, one... Is there animals that came from outside that Hell Creek formation in North Dakota? Like, was the wave so big that it, you know, brought ones up from Kansas? Well, technically speaking, um, because the inundation wave did appear to probably come from a marine environment, uh, we do have a number of marine organisms uh, that washed in there with everything else. And none of those marine organisms are from the Hell Creek Formation. They're from the seaway that used to be there. So all of those are anomalous and very interesting. And so that kind of thing, did he help dispel some some myths? Or did that, that type of information, did that help satisfy any questions of, you know, what's this troglobite doing here? This shouldn't be here. Did that, that anything right. like that happen? Uh, yeah, it also provides a sample of what was in the seaway at that time because the interesting thing is because of erosion and glaciation and such, um, there's no geologic record of the seaway from that time period. So literally anything from the ocean that we have in this site is probably one of the best examples we've got of what existed in the seaway at the very end of the Cretaceous. Um, in addition, here's the cool part, because... We basically have high-resolution film, in geologic terms, of this moment in prehistory and how it would have affected uh, the animals and ecologies. Um, that's a better way for us to understand in greater detail how that impact affected the world's creatures and what is out there. And by extension, that helps us to understand how our current world could possibly deal with uh, a, a similar sort of disaster. So it really ties into modern day. Robert De Palma with Florida Atlantic University and the University of Kansas. We're talking about the big discovery, the fossilized remains of a mass of creatures that died minutes after a huge asteroid slammed into the Earth 66 million years ago, sealing the fate of the dinosaur, according to the, oh, I thought it was Associated Press, but it's the, it must be AFP, is that American Free Press? I'm not familiar with that, I guess. Um, Asking the wrong guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and I'm in the business, and I can't even keep up with the new, 
with, with the new news sources that are out there. All I know is that TMZ seems to be leading all the time. So, um, but let's let's stick with the serious stuff here for a second. Um, one thing I was I, I think of when I when I hear tidal waves and I impact and I think of the movie Deep Impact or I think of the movie Perfect Storm and. All I can think of is that water and how violent it must be. I mean, if you've spent any time in Kansas, you probably know that, you know, they say in a tornado, hay can stick into trees like nails and that sort of thing. Was there any evidence of, of violence when it comes to the uh, impact of the of the wave? I'm sure there was. Yes, yes absolutely. The, the wave was very, very violent. Uh, the surge of water essentially tumbled together and concentrated all of these carcasses, which are, uh, as a matter of fact, these are the first articulated carcasses of creatures associated with the KT boundary, the asteroid impact layer, uh, that we can demonstrate were killed as a result of it. So this is the first time you actually have a mass death layer there associated with the impact layer. Um, but when surge came in depositing all these things, as we excavate the creatures, we actually see with the fish, for example, because uh, there are many of those, we actually see some fish that have fins that penetrate right through the bodies of other fish, and some are actually ripped apart when they were wrapped around so the tree logs that are in the deposit. So it was absolutely violent. And mammals. You mentioned, I think, mammals earlier, or I thought I saw that in the article I read. Uh, what type of there mammals were scooped up? Yeah. Well, we do have evidence of mammals there. Um, the one that we're investigating right now is, is still under study, and we're about to uh, you know, do final touches on a manuscript on that, so I can't comment too much further on. But uh, the mammals that existed back then are, um, are very important to the story of humanity in that this is essentially what our representative was back then in the time of the dinosaurs. So anything that we have today, mammalian on Earth, comes from a lineage that survived that whole event, which is absolutely fascinating. And we want to know why those certain lineages did survive that event. So this is actually an important piece to that. So if we were to say one thing that you believe that mankind as a whole is supposed to extrapolate from this study and incorporate it into our lives in whichever way we can, what, what would that be? Um, a further understanding of how an event like this could have a, a cataclysmic effect on the world and its ecologies, and to extend that to today uh, to, in, in an effort to be better stewards of the current ecologies, to know how vulnerable they could possibly be, and to find out ways of, uh, of doing that, of caring for them. That's really what should be one of the take-home messages. And what, what did you find to be the most fascinating that you know, that you wish people would really know more that come out of this or maybe something in all your years, you're like, wow, that was really cool or that was really neat. Just kind of from your perspective, what did you find that, you know, you're, you're the one who does it day to day, so you're kind of the expert in this. So what, what was the thing that really stood out to you the most? Illumination. Um, basically, you know, since I was a child, I've thought about what the Cretaceous was like, and this is the closest thing you're going to get to a snapshot of that world. Uh, of whatever was there at those moments right after impact. So overall, the whole snapshot that we've got is fascinating to me, and that's what really captivates me. It brings you right in there. You've got a front row seat to one of the most cataclysmic events in uh, in the history of life on Earth, which is very interesting. It's one of the top three extinctions that ever occurred. So it's the one moment you really want to see. 
Wrapping up the interview here, Robert De Palma with Florida Atlantic University and the University of Kansas. Uh, just kind of final thoughts, just uh, what's next with, with the study or with yourself? I think you mentioned something about a mammal, but just kind of, uh, just kind of you know, bring us forward now. We'll kind of wrap up and bring us forward with what to expect next and what's going on. Well, we're at the most important and most exciting part of the uh, study right now because the first paper is coming out, and we have multiple other ones that are on the way out that we are working on, and this is going to be an ongoing uh, research effort. Uh, we've had other researchers there from other universities, other uh, institutions not related to our research team over past years. They're going to continue coming out with new people, do their own studies. Uh, we're going to do our own. And it's going to be a massive research effort to put this entire story together. All the details and gaps that we still don't know, we're going to be filling those as much as possible. And we're going to be bringing in uh, our, our very talented uh, co-ed field assistant team, which has been wonderful over all these years. And they're going to keep honing their skills because they've been fabulous through this whole process. So it's a win-win for everybody, and we're really just looking forward to it. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. And here's to the sound of one hand clapping And here's to not letting this moment pass Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Well, it's time to put the booze down. Find us some solid ground. Clean this damn life up. And turn it all around. We got lost in the smoke and drink. We can feel each other starting to sink. It was Time to get back to our hearts and stay true. And that's going to do it for the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I'd like to thank you folks for tuning in and listening today. Robert De Palma, thank you very much. He's a paleontologist. Joel Brown coming up in just a moment or two to end the program to talk about how tracking minerals has changed and the royalty payments, how it's done in the world of apps. Our headlines, all the links are available at our show page at thecrudelife.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Crestwood Midstream Partners for being a sponsor of our program. Once again, folks, we are very grateful for our sponsors. If you would like to be a sponsor, email us, jason at thecrudelife.com. We will certainly uh, go ahead and, and follow up with that information. If you go to our website, click on the sponsors page. You can take a look at all of our sponsors right there. If you'd like to reach out to them and thank them for being a sponsor, we'd appreciate that very much. If you'd like to do some business with them, well, we'd really appreciate that. But, hey, we're going to leave that up to the two of you. We just want to connect you guys together, make you aware of each other. Because these days, it takes an industry to raise a child. And now we need to tell children of all ages how those light switches turn on. I mean, we went through this with farmers when the grocery stores came around. People forgot about the farmers. But hopefully, with sponsors like Crestwood, Midstream Partners, the crude life can continue to grow, and we can continue to expand our reach through our podcast, through our interviews, through our social media, through our radio stations, through our magazine relationships, through our newspaper relationships. We can continue to educate. We can continue to inform. 
we can continue to entertain the masses about how we keep those light switches on because it takes more than the flick of a switch. It takes hard-working men and women like the ones at Crestwood Midstream Partners. Crestwood Midstream Partners is a publicly traded master limited partnership that owns and operates midstream assets located in the Marcellus, Bakken, Delaware, Permian Basin, Niobrara, Barnett, Fayville. All their operations and financial results are divided into three segments that include gathering and processing, storage and transportation, and marketing, supply, and logistics. For more information, visit their website, crestwoodlp.com. That's crestwoodlp.com. Or you can always find the link at our show page at thecrudelife.com. I'd like to thank Energy Exposition coming up June 24th and 25th in Gillette, Wyoming for alerting us of that event via email. If you have an event that you would like featured right here on The Crude Life, email jason at thecrudelife.com, jason at thecrudelife.com. We have the link for the Energy Exposition in Gillette, Wyoming, happening June 24th and 25th at our website if you'd like to check that out. We will be a part of it in a multiple capacity from a speaking to having a booth there to doing interviews. Uh, the Crude Life will be a part of the Energy Exposition in Gillette, Wyoming, June 24th and 25th. Also, our Earth champion, Johnny Green, has the links for his latest Eco Watch about the failed auction that illustrates the dramatic struggle of German wind power. And the links to the exclusive interviews are also available at thecrudelife.com. I'd like to thank the Crude Life uh, crossover as with our music, the Moody River Band. Uh, we'll be switching that up very shortly. We were going at the beginning of the month, but life happened. We got busy. We haven't had time to change up the music yet, but we will have a new band this month. Right now, it's the Moody River Band. One last opportunity or two tell a new band is up and you can download their music. Also like to thank our studio sponsor, Hatch Coaching, and our phone line sponsor, the Bakken Barbecue. Of course, the Crude Life podcast can be heard every Monday through Thursday with a weekend review on Friday. That's going to do it for today's program. Provolone, excellent job today from the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update. Joel Brown is coming up right around the corner with mineraltracker.com. In the meantime, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Troy Schrank, Chief Commercial Officer for Target Hospitality. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Troy Shrink with Target Hospitality right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. You know, look, as we think about the business, you know, look, we're, 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 we're fortunate and, and privileged to, to be doing business in, in two great basins in the United States. We're, we're privileged to be part of something, I think, on, on a bigger picture, to be a part of U.S. energy independence. We're an integral part of that. We're going to continue to be an integral part of that. And, uh, and at the end of the day, Make sure that we have uh, we have uh, delivered on our promise for our customers, uh, energy employers, and their employees. Uh, and I think we can do that. But just a couple of really kind of fun announcements. You know, one of the things that you know I, I think oftentimes we get carried away talking about how many facilities and communities we have and how many rooms. And look, what I think what I'm most proud of is we have almost 700 great employees in the Permian Basin today that deliver on our promise to deliver the great service quality to our guests every single day they live with our customers 24 steps and that is 
that is just not for super profit. They get the, the ability to deliver some great food, not good food. You're working 12 or 14 hour days in 104 degree heat and you're covered in PP&E and FR. Uh, what you're looking forward to is not good food. You're looking forward to great food. So, you know, the opportunity for our great people to, to make fresh, you know, grilled steaks every night, grilled chicken, grilled fish, pastas. We've opened up this new concept. I don't know if I've shared it with you, Jason. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, sports bar and grill without the alcohol, of course. It's called the Frack Shack. We've started to open these up over the last several years. We're opening up our uh, our seventh one here coming up here in, in, in 2020. And they're all on location. Uh, you know, the, 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 the customer gets to, you know, go have food 24-7. If they want to go over to the Frack Shack, they can have a handmade uh, burger, a uh, custom-made burger with hand-cut French fries. We've got wood-fired pizza oven. Um, it's like a sports a sports bar that, 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 that anyone would be proud to go into with absolutely great food. And I think it's, it's that it's that care and concern and 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 uh emphasis on the on our guests that that frankly uh have uh, you know every energy company just clamored to do you know help us have them help us or have us help them rather and that was troy shrink chief commercial officer with target hospitality to listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews visit the that's the crudelife.com while you're there, if we'd ask you to please check out our social media pages from our Facebooks to our Twitters to even the YouTubes. We even have a podcast here at The Crude Life. That is at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at The Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery.
the treble There's no breaks in the bass It's just you and me and baby Singing it like we did in the good old days Yeah, we're singing it like they did in the good old days Because we're back to the way every Monday through Thursday with a Week in Review on Friday. Well, I was tears old when John Lennon died. Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye. Yeah, next go, I think it's Paul, I say. And then there'll be only Ringo to play Well, Gandhi says now for now makes the whole world blind And I was two years old when John Lennon died I was born near a harvest moon And it wasn't too late and I wasn't too soon And I was born on the first day of my life And I was two years old when John Lennon died I've lived, yeah, you know that I've tried Well, I've told the truth, yeah, you know that I've lied You know we do what we do so we can survive And I was two years old when John Lennon died
It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you, there's a world changer down the street and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. 